Hi everybody, I'm Victoria Austin and you're listening to Shadow Talk. Today is quite a special uh, uh, session as we're going to be deep diving into a recent threat landscape report that we published on the region, which is uh, Singapore. So joining me today to talk about uh, Singapore more specifically, we have Adam Cook, Philip Doherty and Jouet. So thank you. How is everyone today? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Doing good, thanks. How are you? Very well, very well. Shui, you're actually dialing in from Singapore, so I really appreciate you joining us at this time. No problem, and good day to everyone. <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah, just to give a little bit of background to um, why we're doing this podcast, we recently published a blog around uh, the Fret Landscape Report um, in Singapore. So, more specifically, we kind of, um, as kind of Digital Shadows has expanded into Singapore and our functions or business functions are kind of growing at the same time we thought this report would be quite um, an interesting piece specifically for clients as well as others in the region that are faced with threats and so what we're going to do is go a bit more into detail about these threats um, and I guess more specifically we're going to kind of touch on why Singapore is um, a target uh, and who is who is being targeted especially what sectors so I think that's um, kind of like the good background to go into and when we're talking about the types of people who were or the types of organisations that were impacted, we're looking specifically between um, the first half of this year. So that is between January and July this year, 2019. So, yeah, I, I guess you, um, you, you three are here to kind of talk me through the subject. But Adam, why do you think Singapore is being targeted? So we think that there's a heightened threat level to Singapore as nowadays it's seen as a gateway into Asia, being the kind of fintech hub of the region. It's an attractive prospect for foreign investment and professional talent. And it's now home to Asian branches of companies like Google and Facebook. There's a booming economy and investment in new technologies to improve business efficiency, including things like big data, analytics and storage, etc., uh, there's a huge kind of booming uh, economy that includes loads of fintech startups. Um, there's a big crypto currency market over there. Yeah, and we'll kind of probably touch on that a bit later, actually, I think. We will indeed. Yeah, but I think at the same time, it is globally recognized as a smart city. I mean, yeah, I love, I love this kind of stuff. So <laughs> um, essentially, the use of internet-connected technology to support the digital infrastructure and efficiency of everyday lifestyle. So you've got stuff like connected infrastructure, data recording and accessibility, as well as improvements to transport and lifestyle efficiency are all aspects of like smart city visions. Singapore actually has a an initiative called the Smart Nation Initiative, where they basically want to turn the, the whole island into an interconnected smart hub. Yeah, so actually I think at the moment, residents, and Dre, correct me if I'm wrong, um, have been given high, like very fast, high-speed internet. Almost 100% of the population has a mobile device. On average, that is about three mobile phones for every two inhabitants. And the city also has a large number of um, wireless access points. So that, I guess, just kind of highlights that kind of interconnectedness, doesn't it? But also, I guess, when we're thinking about this interconnectedness, it's, you know, it's a very progressive and positive thing however it doesn't leave it immune from types of attacks and cyber attacks and people are not 
or organizations need to be thinking alongside being digitally superior you know, they need to th- think about their security at the same time and i think this is the point that we need to kind of highlight when we're thinking about this region that singapore is also as well as countries across the world faced with many threats absolutely i think you know that kind of maps to the general trend or concerns with iot technology in everyday life like important focus there is on security measures as well as like a rush to market with this kind of stuff so you know you always hear commentators addressing the inherently insecure nature of iot technology so if you're going to try and implement that across a whole city or a whole country even then scalable and secure iot solutions are going to be fundamental for successful delivery of those smart cities yeah so this challenge that kind of Singapore is experiencing at the moment was probably illustrated or high, or was felt when it suffered one of the biggest breaches, wasn't it, in 2018? And this was the Singh Health patient, so the Singh Health breach, which saw 1.5 million customers or patients' personal information illegally accessed and then copied, including that of the Prime Minister, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, never good. So yeah, I guess that kind of just sets the scene. When we looked at this report, as I mentioned earlier, we looked at the first half of this year. So of the incidents that were reported, or that of the incidents that Digital Shadows reported in this time period, we identified that um, espionage and financially motivated attacks were one of the most reported on type of cyber incidents, whilst financial services, and in particular cryptocurrencies, were the most targeted sectors during this uh, reporting period. So to kind of give you an overview, we're looking at um, 60% of um, of the incidents were related to financially motivated attacks, and 40% of those incidents were related to um, espionage uh, motivated attacks. I guess let's start off with looking at the financially motivated attacks. So specifically during this time period, who who was targeted and why? So I think there's um there were there were two sort of main drivers for the financially motivated attacks. So we got a, l- a lot of fraud campaigns in Singapore, um, and the other part was when the tax deadlines came out. There was a massive uh, sort of increase in in financially motivated tax there. Um, and they sort of link into each other. So the two of those coupled together is is a large driver uh, of, of that sort of landscape area. Um, from the cryptocurrency side of things, that's that's actually a wider trend throughout Asia. So um, throughout sort of the APAC region, cryptocurrencies are being sort of increasingly adopted um, amongst all these countries. And uh, they are proving to be quite a, a successful sort of aspect to target. So as... They are quite unreliable in the, in the finance as well, so the, the monetary value fluctuates so uh, so quickly, and um, that that threat actors seem to try and capitalize on it as soon as uh, as soon as the market value goes up. Yeah, so I think during this reporting period, one or Singapore-based organization, Bitru, reported on threat actors um, having stolen around four point five million dollars worth of cryptocurrency, and I think this attack is quite interesting because they were exploiting the review process of of that um well the review process within the risk control team at Bitru, which then allowed the attackers to exfiltrate the funds um, and the wallets of their customers yeah i think there's a a bit of a misconception from outside of sort of the uh, 
cyber landscape or cybersphere, maybe if we call it, um, that cryptocurrencies are sort of that decentralized and more secure aspect of currency. Um, but the more we're seeing more and more that 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 isn't actually the case. There are some sorts of uh, security standards that aren't quite the same as, um, say, in the wider financial sector. And uh, you see a lot of threat actors trying to capitalize on that or attempting to, to target that um, around Asia, Asia specifically. Yeah. And Joy, I guess I have a question specifically around, you know, the uh, Singapore's approach to cryptocurrency. Um, I guess it has quite a forward looking policy when it comes to adoption. Is that right? Yes. So the Singapore government is, or rather Singapore, is widely thought to have a rather open approach and friendly approach to cryptocurrency adoption. Well, the government viewed this as a sort of financial information and this would probably support its Smart Nations initiative, though it's not one of the pillars that's outlined in the framework. But this virtual currency is obviously not recognized as legal tender in the country. And the Monetary Authority of Singapore, which is the MAF, has not as yet um, regulated cryptocurrency exchanges the way it does for the traditional financial institutions. You know, so for example, I mean, the MAF is very strict when it comes to regulating banks and the traditional financial institutions that we normally know. But it, when it comes to cryptocurrency, um, it's not as updated and. Well, we're still in the process of fleshing out a regulatory framework, but we'll see how effective or how far that goes. Yeah, and I, I guess alongside this, we also have the issue of low user awareness when it comes to these cyber threats. So I think, um, I guess policy will have to kind of catch up with the adoption of it at the moment because this could be this could be continued, I guess, these kinds of attacks. Well, and it blew up so quickly, didn't it? I yeah. know it's probably slowed a little bit now, but it was just it was the thing everyone wanted, everyone wanted to get their hands on at one point, especially towards the end of like 2017, early 2018. Yeah. It was just, you know, you couldn't move to get your hands on it. So, yeah, I definitely say there's um, some catching up to do, as Shui says, in terms of regulation. Yeah. So moving on, we identified in the report that Singapore entities remain an espionage target. So I guess, Phil, could you go into a bit more detail about this? Yeah, for sure. So Singapore's um, sort of strategic position, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's, it's in quite close proximity to the likes of China, um, who have state-associated groups and are arguably one of the most sophisticated um, nations to conduct that sort of activity in the world. Um, sort of also, the wider APAC uh, region is, is, is quite volatile. So you see a lot of espionage activity throughout APAC. Um, but more specifically towards Singapore, I think you have such a fast-growing technological hub um, of, of a country that it's going to draw attention from other nation-states. So that's not just domestic to APAC itself. You could you, There's more likely going to be other countries like the United States, um, Russia. They're all going to be interested in the activities of China um, and also to try and get that sort of strategic advantage to their state as well. Um, so I think one of the one of the main drivers for that is going to be China's um, strategy moving forward. So they have the, the Made in China 2025. Um, they have technological policies that they're trying to in, uh, increase their proficiency in. Um, and they do this throughout five-year plans. 
So moving in towards 2020 and 2021, we're going to see a new five-year plan come out of China. Um, and this is typically focused around sort of the manufacturing, technology, telecommunications, all these sorts of aspects where they're trying to increase their um, their prowess globally, I suppose, trying to um, bring in a world-leading economy um, and be be a front runner in, in these industries. So all of these aspects are are huge in Singapore. So the developments of all those different industries in Singapore over the last, I don't know, 10 years, I suppose, um, has, been, has been huge. Um, so the, these are the sorts of things that are going to start drawing in more and more activity. Um, and even though the, these sorts of attacks may not necessarily be publicly reported on, they're, they're highly likely ongoing. Um, and even though we might not have access to them, or visibility into them, they are they're they're very sophisticated, and the groups uh, that conduct them are highly capable. So during this reporting period, the White Flight APT group was um, attributed to the Sing Sing Health breach, and a second kind of attack targeted unnamed entities in this region um, using the termite work malware. So, I guess. The point of the malware, I guess, was to kind of um, was kind of used to collect information from these affected systems. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, these sorts of custom tools, there's not really much of a difference between the way that um, nation states would use these sorts of tools in APAC compared to any other region or Singapore specifically. They're, they are typically information gathering tools. Um, they are highly customizable as well. So it's not as if they could only target one organization. They could, in effect, target uh, the likes of third-party suppliers to get exposure into um, multiple organizations, or they could tailor those tools to go after one specific entity. And in fact, Whitefly has been known to reportedly compromise many domestic and multinational organizations across sectors in Singapore, and also other sectors in other countries, such as in the UK, and in the rest of Southeast Asia and Russia. So it doesn't mean that the, if it's indeed the group behind SingHealth, it doesn't mean that it's specifically assigned to target Singapore or the health sector indefinitely, yeah. but that their tools could be used on, or their tools are not exclusive and could be used for any country as they see fit. Yeah. Yeah. There's, okay. there's definitely some nuances to that, you know, as Phil touched on a little bit there, like geo geopolitical tension in the region. I think Singapore has previously had some high-profile differences with Chinese authority, namely the South China Sea dispute. I think there are a few countries that are a member of the Asian um, the Asian board that were, like, were quite vocal so against. Singapore is not a claimant country to one of the islands in the South China Sea dispute, but as a founding member of ASEAN and a few of the ASEAN a few of the other ASEAN members are involved with China in the South China Sea dispute. Um, Singapore plays a very important role in being the arbitrator and in negotiating a code of conduct for the region. So this might put it, as you know, naturally in the crosshairs of um, a regional, a large regional, con a large country in the region, in the APEC region, such as China. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, they're going to be in the spotlight for that, aren't they? Yeah. Also during this reporting period, we acknowledged that there was a decrease in hacktivist activity. So I guess we could just touch on this a little lightly. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, sort of this this decrease is not specific to Singapore. Um, so it is a wider trend of a, de- a decline in the hacktivist activity. So there's lots of reports and research going on um, attributing to this to the sort of demise of the anonymous collective. Um, so there's a massive decrease in, in their activity, which previously has substantiated the hacktivist reporting. Um, there is uh, slight differences between the hacktivism that we see in APAC compared to other regions. So uh, Chinese um, hacktivism is more patriotically motivated. So it's almost in defense of one's nation. So there is still a, a, a possibility that that could continue. Um, but you're right, there has been a, a significant decline in it. So this is the type of activity that we had reported on in the last year. However, if we're looking forwards, I guess, what do we kind of forecast for the rest of the year and beyond that? So, Phil, what do you kind of see happening? Um, I think the first first thing from an espionage point of view will be to to keep on top of the developments of the Chinese five-year plans. Um, they, are sort of, they are the major player of the state-associated activity in the wider region, um, and they have previously targeted or... Groups associated to the state have previously targeted Singapore. So whatever the outcome of those five-year plans will be will probably sway the types of sectors or the indiscrimination of their targeting. Um, I think another point to bring up is the rate at which Singapore is going through digital transformation. Um, So that is across all sectors. Um, So the technology that they're implementing and developing, that could be increasingly targeted as well. And then I think the third point for me would be the sort of quantitative analytics sector. So the big data analytics, the more that that becomes automated and the more technology that gets developed to help that industry, um, that could open up an avenue for all sorts. That could open up an avenue for state-associated espionage and financially motivated activity. I think that cyber espionage operators will definitely continue to seek sensitive information from this region. So... Developments in this region are rife, apart from what Phil has pointed out. As we all know, some of the ASEAN countries are also heavily involved in China's Belt and Road initiatives. And then there is the mixed response to using Huawei as the provider of 5G equipment in Asia-Pacific, and this could likely motivate or spur some intelligence-gathering operations on this issue. And as for the geopolitical front, the South China Sea disputes continue to remain an issue among countries in the in Southeast Asia. And as one of the founding members for ASEAN and for its interconnectedness with the rest of the world, I think this is one of the main reasons why Singapore will continue to remain an attractive target in this aspect. As for financially motivated activity, I think that they will likely stay. And it comes in no surprise that with its um, being an economic powerhouse in the region, Singapore is also a banking hub. And already we've seen new banking trojans emerge and Emotet is also one of those banking trojans that has researched. Although the malware appears to be affecting Europe and the US, it seems like it is also using Southeast Asian entities for its infrastructure such as um, C2 and for communication. And this might be a threat for the APEC region and certainly Singapore given the uptake, given that the uptake rate of digital banking is very high. And with holiday season around the corner, activities such as scams, online fraud and payment fraud definitely can be expected. And if you don't already know, Singaporeans do love a good bargain. And with the thriving e-commerce landscape here, a lot of the online sales is not going to go unnoticed and cyber criminals are definitely going to be exploiting this. And I think just moving on from that, 
there is one other thing that is not in public reports, but it, it comes to headlines. And I think that is the uptick in the number of breaches. Or when I say uptick in number of breaches, an uptick in the number of reports of breaches. And I think that's quite interesting because this year there was a regu- uh, piece of policy that came out related to this. So I don't know, Dre, if you wanted to just touch on that a bit. So during our reporting period, we also noticed that there is an uptick in um, breach disclosure in Singapore. We felt that this was equally important to mention because, you know, data breach is still a concern. I think this comes in line with the Personal Data Protection Commission in Singapore, which is also known as the PDPC, revision to its guide to managing data breaches. And this revision basically means that Singaporean firms are now entirely obliged to notify the PDPC of data breaches. So this could explain why we see an increase in the number of data breach reports, but it also doesn't um, dilute the importance of guarding yourself against data breaches. So with this going forward, I think we can see, we can expect more companies to come forward when they experience a data breach. Yeah, and I think this this impact was felt um, in the UK as well, following the start date of GDPR. So that's in line, I guess, with what you're saying. Well, in- interestingly, do you know that as um, one of the guidelines under the PCPC's revision, if, you, if you're a company that, that has experienced a data breach and you, if you report it early, you kind of get a discount and you pay a smaller fine as opposed to when you wait till you can't um, keep it in anymore and you report it yeah. and you'll pay a higher fine. But that, I guess, encourages people to be more in tune with their security because I think it's in some cases, breaches happen where companies aren't aware that a breach has happened. Yeah, some of them, some of them take up to a year before they actually find out that something's happened. So I think that's a, a almost like a proactive enticement. Yeah, I love the idea of a breach discount. <laughs> yeah, 20% <laughs> off. <laughs> Lots of promotions in the region. So is there anything else that anyone would like to bring to the table? I think just going back to what we uh, started with, or what we mentioned at the beginning, I think the Smart Nation initiative in Singapore is really interesting. Uh, this vision that Singapore's economy is going to be powered by digital innovation and benefit from these digital technologies. You know, you've got the inclusion of some of the branches include the creation of a national digital identity, so the impl- implementation of digital signatures and biometric data. You've got an investment in e-payment systems and smart urban mobility, as well as trialing of uh, autonomous public transport. And then there's also this big move to migrate data systems belonging to the government and the healthcare sector to the cloud. So you've got all these really cool sounding uh, branches of the initiative. But as we mentioned at the start, I think it's important that there's a focus on security measures as all these branches of the initiative are likely going to present a significant security challenge Uh, and like I said at the start scalable and secure IoT solutions are going to be really important for delivering smart city or the smart nation initiative so I think there's likely to be a number of associated security risks with such ambitious projects and definitely be keeping an eye on that as it goes forward super interesting stuff yeah As part of the Searchlight service, Digital Shadows clients are able to view our regional threat landscape reports before they're published to the blog. So should you wish to view any of these reports, you should definitely speak to a sales representative at sales at digitalshadows.com. 
And in addition to this, if you are new to the podcast, I'd like to welcome you. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to read the blog, we definitely recommend doing so. And that's you can do that by visiting resources.digitalshadows.com. So I'd like to thank everyone for joining me today, especially Jerry from dialing in from Singapore. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Perfect. Thank you, Victoria. No problem.